Good morning, everybody. My name is Nate, and I would love to read to you from Matthew chapter 5. I believe it's also up there. Anyway, uh, you have heard it said, sorry, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, for your whole body to go into hell. Good morning. That sounded deeply encouraging. Thanks, Nate, for that setup for the message this morning. Everyone's waiting with bated breath and terrified as well. In light of the scripture reading, Matt and I cast lots to see who would preach, and somehow we tied. So here we are. <laughs> so depending on who you like, what they say. Um, we probably should say, I met a few new people. Uh, my name's Matt Pamplin. Uh, this is Dave Arnold. And we're uh, with Amy and a few others, part of their pastoral uh, staff here at St. Clair. And it's great to have you. Uh, I was talking to someone this morning about being welcoming and Offering a welcoming space is really important for us as a church, so it's probably good to introduce ourselves. Yeah, we're going to sort of work off each other this morning in a short 20-minute attempt to sink our teeth into this passage. If you've been with us, we've been working our way in 2020 since January, the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been part of this overriding question for us as a community this year within our Sunday teaching to try to answer the question of how do we live the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2020. And so this week actually, for us, caps this time of uh, being with Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, because next week in the church calendar, we move into the season of Lent. Uh, And so we're going to shift gears in that respect. Now, if you are familiar with Matthew 5, 6, 7, you'll know that we have not had the opportunity to talk about everything Jesus talks about. Uh, And so in light of having a Missional Family Sunday last Sunday, where we didn't all meet together, uh, Matt and I and Andrew Klumpenhauer did sort of an extended podcast to talk our way through the parts of the Sermon Mount that we didn't give airtime to on a Sunday. So we just, maybe for your own learning purposes, we'd encourage you to spend time with that. Next week, uh, as we look into Lent, uh, as Amy and it was shared with Andy and Diane, uh, prayer is really important to us as a community. Uh, It's something that if you're around here long enough, you're going to hear us say and talk and practice and do prayer that if you don't like prayer, it might get tiring for you. It's it's actually just really central to us as a community. And so we're going to spend our Lent time as a church talking, teaching about prayer. But we're going to lean on some people in our community and outside of our community to help teach us about why prayer is important and to learn together on how to pray. Um, If you didn't know, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. So that marks the beginning of Lent. And historically in the church calendar, Lent is this time of this sort of anticipation and lead up, build up to Easter. And it's this way of identifying with Jesus and the Israelites and their experience in the desert of being without to hold on to the hope of what God provides for us. And so there's a practice of abstaining from things during Lent to engage in that discipline of anticipating and waiting and hoping uh, for Easter to come. So 
If you've done that before, then know that Ash Wednesday, this is the chance to jump in on that again. And if you haven't considered something like that before, maybe this year you could. Uh, one other thing to say about prayer, it's a commitment that we're learning. Uh, it's a practice, a discipline that we're learning as a community. And we sort of ventured out this year into a new way of expressing that in our community. In the fall, we highlighted different avenues, different places where discipleship is happening at St. Clair. And a new way that that's been happening are these small prayer groups that have been meeting. And there's a few of them now in our community. One of them is six other guys that meet at my place at 6.30 on a Tuesday morning. Uh, and it just follows a liturgy of confession and of prayer together. And it's been really beautiful. It's teaching us how to be honest with one another and honest with God. And that's, it's not trying to be anything more than that, but it's been a very good teacher. So we're just, we're trying uh, in creative ways to learn how to pray together. And these prayer groups have actually been a really encouraging piece for that along the way. As we look together this morning at our passage in the Sermon on the Mount, it would be too audacious to think that we could say everything related to sexuality in 20 minutes. So if you were expecting that, you will be disappointed. We cannot offer you that this morning, and we're not even going to try. Like the other passages we've been working through in the Sermon on the Mount, We've been taking Jesus' words and engaging directly with them. The implications of Jesus' words are so significant, and they, f- they feel very timely for our day and age. But our Sunday conversation has been narrowed and has been focused to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what we're going to do today. There is a lot that could be said and a lot that should be said in regards to sexuality, But our focus this morning is on Jesus' words around adultery and lust. Our leadership team has, has been spending time studying and praying and discerning the kind of posture that we need as a community in how we engage a conversation around sexuality. That's been very important to us. It's a weight that our leadership team has been carrying and working through. It's something that deeply matters that we do that with thoughtfulness and conviction and sensitivity so that it matures us into being a healing community. And as we've been working through that right now, that's actually required a really patient approach to how we learn to have a healthy posture in a conversation about sexuality. So as we look, and Matt's going to help sort of dissect some of the texts for us here and what Jesus is saying. As we look at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've said this before, these are words of life that come from the one whom life is the source of life, and whom all of life holds together. These words of Jesus are actually of no good to us if they just become a new law or a sort of behavior modification or just a way that we have to simply try and do and be better. This, of all passages, is probably going to feel the most impossible to conquer that mountain. And we're not asking any of us to conquer that mountain because that is not what Jesus is offering. What he's giving to us in the Sermon on the Mount and in this passage specifically is a sort of manifesto on a new way of living that is bound to himself. This is impossible 
if it's just the thing that we're trying to fix or solve in our life, we come at this receiving the life of Jesus himself that then gives us life to live out the kind of life that Jesus is describing. That's, I think that um, is really important, is really pivotal for us to hold on to in this. And maybe this is our confession, is that uh, we want to be really explicit to say what we're asking as a community, what we want to learn to grow into, is that you would follow Jesus in the example of Jesus. We're not going to sort of pretend our way through here to say, just follow Matt's example, follow Dave's example, as though we are immune or totally innocent on these matters. I don't know if you heard news yesterday, but uh, a hero of the faith for us, um, you know, was exposed on these matters. And so there's a certain humility this morning that, yeah, we just, we want to be very sensitive to what we offer and how we offer this, not in, not pretending to be someone that we're not. We are deeply committed to following Jesus, uh, but we cannot claim to be perfect in these matters. And hopefully we can do a good job of even the playing field to say we are all not perfect in these matters. So we're going to hold on to the words of Jesus together. As we approach this text this morning, Dave alluded to it. I just want to say that uh, Jesus is the hope is the gateway to this whole piece of scripture. That might seem obvious. You're like, well, yeah, I know that. Jesus is saying it. But you don't have to follow Jesus. He's pretty loving in the way he says, you don't have to listen to me. But I think what's really important to recognize is this is a surrendering to who Jesus is when we approach the text. One of the phrases I get a lot when I talk to people is, oh, you know, Matt, you do you. You know, like whatever's good for you, you can do that. Jesus says, you follow me. So I think that's really important to recognize. Now, we can do us. We can decide to do what we want. Jesus is totally loving. But as we approach the text this morning, we're actually entering to it, assuming Jesus might know best. I think it was Dallas Willard who says, do we trust Jesus is the most brilliant person who ever lived? And that's a really important posture because we might say, no, I think I know better than Jesus. And that's totally fine. But as we approach the text, I think it's important to recognize that. So as we do, Matthew 5, 27, this is Jesus. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, that was a rabbi's way of saying, you've heard from the Old Testament. So Jesus saying, you've heard it said. That's Exodus chapter 20, the seventh commandment. So Jesus is quoting that. And what rabbis would do is say, you have heard it said, but I tell you, which is how do you interpret the law of Moses? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is always getting beyond behavior. The Pharisees focused on behavior, and we looked at that last time, but Jesus is always trying to get beneath the surface because he knows that's ultimately where things start out. I want to say something very clearly right at the start. Because some of you might be thinking, oh, is this even possible? I don't even know how to approach this. We would want to say, God thinks sex is a very good thing. God created sex, and beauty 
is really important to God. God created humans as image bearers. So beauty and sexuality is deeply important to God. But when we look at the text, Jesus here isn't saying, don't appreciate beautiful people. There's a lot of you in this room. But Jesus is saying something clearly, and it's around the word look. So Jesus will say, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the word for look, there was two words in the Greek for look. One is to like take a glance and think, wow, they're really beautiful. I I appreciate God's creation. The second is to look and actually take a longer gaze at somebody. And then this thought process starts to go in. This is what I would like to do when I'm with them. And that is what Jesus is getting at here. And he uses the word looking lustfully at someone. And lust, when it's uh, one of the definitions I read of lust is using a woman or man's body for sexual gratification. Dallas Willard says, anyone who looks upon a woman for the purpose of lusting for her, using her visual presence as a means of savoring the fantasized act. Why is this important to Jesus? Because it's actually about objectification of people. It's how we treat people. Jesus will say later in Matthew, the most important commandment is this, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. What is happening here, Jesus is saying, is when we turn people into objects for our own gratification. It's, Jesus is saying we can dehumanize them to fulfill our own sexual appetite. But in doing that, we also dehumanize ourselves. One of the ways we see that in our culture is in the area of pornography, which is so kind of prevalent in our world. And I was reading some studies that said often pornography starts quite innocently. Maybe we see something. But the downward spiral can actually lead people to seeing uh, women as, or men as a way to take control of someone and actually use our power. And actually what starts out maybe quite innocent can lead down a really dark path. And there's a bunch of studies about that. Another area of objectification I think we see in our culture is people who don't fit our culture's view of beauty. That's another area of objectification. We've said, because you're not this image that I have, we'll actually write you off. And Jesus says, every human is beautiful and made in the image of God. We see that anytime we go into a grocery store with the uh, magazines that we see or we go into a mall, that what people are saying is this is truly worthwhile and beautiful in the world and anyone who doesn't fit this stereotype isn't and Jesus is totally cutting through that in these words that he says. I think Jesus here is a great physician. So he's actually cutting away to what is deeper. Our culture says we follow our desires or we do whatever feels right for us. And Jesus saying our feelings and our desires aren't always our rule and our master. See, sometimes our feelings are really good. As Christians, we fully believe that. Feelings can be from God. But sometimes our feelings and our desires, as James Smith would say, can actually be disordered. And so what Jesus is getting at here, I think, is the difference between lust and love. 
See, I think lust is selfish and for my own pleasure at the expense of another. To use the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind, and not self-seeking. Now, with this weighty stuff in front of us, we might think, thanks for that. Is there any hope or a way out of this or a way forward? And Jesus gives us some other words, which initially might seem a terrible way out. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole of your body to hell. Now, is Jesus saying we should go around performing surgery? On ourselves. I heard a pastor say recently about this passage if it was about self mutilation, then Jesus is missing the most obvious part of the body when talking about this text. But I think Jesus is exaggerating on purpose. This is total exaggeration. If you remember back to the passage I read on Matthew, it said, if you have a problem with your neighbor or there's a disagreement, leave your sacrifice at the altar. And Jesus uses huge hyperbole. Go back 80 miles, be reconciled, and come back again. Jesus is using the same exaggeration here. But what he's saying is, this is deeply serious. And we need to address this because if we don't, something happens. And his language is the adultery of the heart. This is insidious. And so Jesus is actually using this to say, oh, everyone should know this is deeply important because the ramifications of this are dehumanizing of self and also fracturing and dehumanizing a community. Trying to make sense of this for the the cultural moment that we find ourselves in or the the water that we just swim in, perhaps without even knowing. I don't think we'd have to do much convincing to say that sex holds a really high value in our culture. You don't have to look any further than advertising to know that sex has a lot of power and a lot of pull to influence just our everyday decision-making. And in some ways, it it makes sense because to be sexual is to be deeply human. And so on some levels and and to some degrees, like sex, the draw of sex is one of the few things that so many of us share in common. The difficulty lies not in sex itself, but, you know, as Matt was saying, it's our use of sex, mainly that we turn it inward for our own gratification, rather than being a gift to be shared. It has become, in a lot of cases, a tool that is manipulated for our own pleasure and not an extension of ourselves to cultivate, cultivate intimacy. Let me give you an example. Uh, so driving, some of you do this every day on your commute, um, but a little bit ago, driving into Toronto, uh, and when you hit the Gardner Expressway, you sort of get bombarded with a flurry of billboards as you see the what used to be a beautiful skyline of Toronto, and now it's just condos everywhere. But so the, the billboards grab your attention very easily on the highway. And I saw one that at a distance, I couldn't decipher what it was saying or what it was showing. But then as it came near and came into view, it 
I want to say it shocked me, but I'm not sure that it did. Um, and I highlight it because uh, it may be jarring for some of us, but I name it because it's just actually now what is societal norm, what is commonplace. The billboard said, scream your own name, and then the picture was of a female sex toy. And that was what is being sold, which I takes to an even further degree, not just the use of another for our own purposes and our own graphication. We're now being sold a version of sexuality that says you don't need anyone at all ever to gratify yourself. This is now what's normative. And we're not sort of We don't want to um, be up here in any case, on any subject, sort of just bemoaning culture, as though culture is an enemy and we need to win a culture war. That's not what we're chasing. What we are asking is, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of the culture that we find ourselves in? We um, have taken deeply human things like beauty and desire, things that have been imprinted by God on us, being made in the image of God. And so easily, things like beauty and desire can be cheapened and commodified and sold for our own gratification at the expense of someone else. Pornography is probably as good an example as any for that. Beauty, in a lot of ways, becomes about glamour or allure, And desire kind of gets forced into being about appetite, pleasure, craving, lust. And lust is this uncontrolled sexual desire or appetite, an overmastering craving that becomes insatiable, that we're incapable of being satisfied or appeased. That inevitably, it's this hunger that just will not be filled if it's solely dependent on us. And it just leads us to a very selfish place of using others for our own gain. It would seem that we kind of live with a, a cultural mandate of do what feels good. No one should deprive you of doing what feels good, for it is your right to do what feels good. And most of the time, you get to define the terms of what feels good. And so if you want to talk about what feels good, the power, the immediate gratification of sex, there's just not a lot of things that are going to compete with that kind of pleasure if our life is about doing what feels good. And so it is, like Matt was saying, it's no wonder that Jesus' words are so strong in his caution about the dangers of giving ourselves over to that crave, that lust, that kind of desire. Something has been made, that has been made good, Jesus is saying it, is, it can so easily be fractured and broken and become corrupted in a way that becomes dangerous to ourselves and to others. And Jesus is trying to save us from that kind of danger. 
It matters so much to God that he can't afford to be sort of casual or complacent about his instruction on this. Because I think Jesus knows very brilliantly that for a lot of us, many of our deepest wounds are sexual wounds. That it just runs to the core of who we are. So how do we pull this together a little bit? Um, What's interesting in the Gospels is Jesus goes around and the ministry of Jesus is to proclaim good news and to bring healing. Like the amount of stories of healing and in the original language, that's not just the physicality, that's healing of the whole person. And so I think Jesus here is saying we actually need to be healed to be made whole. And Jesus' way, as I said earlier, seems pretty strong. He's like, cut this off. But if you notice both times, whether it's the eye or the hand, Jesus uses the word hell. It'd be better to be in hell. Because I think what Jesus is saying is, to live this way can feel like a living hell. And that's what can happen in individuals and communities. So much of our world, I think, is sexually hurting because of how we've treated and objectified one another. And the invitation of Jesus is to have our lives transformed by his grace. That's what he's inviting us into. As Dave and I were prepping for this morning, it felt like there were two groups of people um, that this may be appropriate to. One is a group of people who are just struggling in this area. Maybe it is with some form of addiction, people who feel they can't necessarily get free, and this is just a real challenge for them. And we want to say, I think there's grace for you. The second is also people who have maybe been mistreated in this area. As a pastor, a few times I've sat with some of you in this congregation who've just shared your stories of the way you've been sexually mistreated by others, and that's... That moved me deeply, and I know there's some people here for whom this subject is really jarring and maybe even triggering in some ways. Henry Nouwen says this, healing begins when in the face of our own darkness, we recognize our helplessness and surrender our need for control. We face what is, and we ask for his mercy. And so maybe there's a couple of... uh, steps, particularly for those who feel like they're in the first category of kind of um, gripped by this thing that's really difficult. I think the first thing is repentance, that we actually turn around. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. But before that, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. God is at work in your life. The response is to turn around and to come back to me and to confess to God. So repentance is the first step. Gerald May, who's a therapist, uh, says this, Honesty before God requires the most fundamental risk of faith we can take. The risk that God is good, that God does love us unconditionally. It is in taking this risk that we rediscover our dignity. So the first step is repentance. And then I think the second step is actually confession. 1 John 1.9, this is John writing, says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think it's to confess with someone who you can trust that you're in relationship with. It's to be honest with them. Most of the time, sexual uh, sin 
is actually just covered and it's in hiding. And we put up all these walls and this is what we think, I can get through this by myself. And then we recognize we actually can't and we need a community to help us. I'm going to close by actually praying. And I want to say, uh, for the group of people that feel like you've actually been wronged in this area and it causes deep pain for you, it was really fun. I was trying to think, how do you actually articulate that? I've, like I said, I've sat with some of you, and all I can say is I am deeply sorry for the way you were treated. Jesus, that is not his way. The way of Jesus is wholeness and love and kindness. And so for some of you who were here this morning, I'm just deeply sorry, and I said to Dave, mm-hmm. I just don't even know how to quite convey that because it really is deeply wounding. And my hope this morning is somehow you can receive invitation because for a lot of you, it was attached to shame and people actually shamed you in the process. Mm -hmm. And the way of Jesus is to say, you don't have to sit in that shame anymore because I'm calling you back. So I'm going to pause. Um, I recognize this is a deeply heavy subject. And Dave and I recognize our flaws in this. So we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, We believe A friend once said to me, the Holy Spirit's a way better pastor than you are. And so we trust that. So why don't we pause for a moment in quiet, and I'm actually going to pray for both groups of people. If you'd be willing to just hold out your hands, all of us, in a posture, because as Dave said, this all applies for us. So I'm going to pray for some of you feel like you're caught in this space where there's an addiction, you can't get out of it. But I'm also going to pray for those who just feel deeply wounded by this subject matter. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to come this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. The scripture would teach us that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one who comforts, the one who comes alongside. And Jesus, we deeply need you to comfort us this morning. Holy Spirit, for those of us who maybe feel like we're just deeply struggling with this and it feels like we're actually enslaved and we can't get out, that... um, we just racked with this uh, habitual problem and sexuality has been so twisted and torn for us. Would you invite us to repent and return home? Jesus, to the one who welcomes us and says, there is good news. There is hope and wholeness because healing is the way of the kingdom. Lord, even to confess this week to a trusted friend, and walk with someone. Jesus, you call us to bring things into the light. Hiding stuff gets us nowhere. And Jesus, this morning, um, just by your grace, I don't know how you do this, but would you be kind to those who, for whom this is just deeply wounding? God, for people who've been violated and um, yeah, mistreated in this area, would you just pour out your healing And just be kind to them, Jesus. Um, We don't think this is your way. Jesus, we need you to show us the way. Amen. Amen. Amen.
As we close, we close with a benediction, which is a blessing I say over you. I'm going to use the words of Paul to the church in Colossae, because I think this is kind of in light of this morning's message, uh, who we're called to be as a people. There's a brilliant, uh, I'm a Dallas Willard person, as you know, and I always have a Willard quote. He has this really interesting thing where he says, when following Jesus, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. That's really important. So we receive God's grace. And so this morning we receive the work of the Holy Spirit and grace in our lives. But then there's a sense of we actually can then do something about it as we walk that out. And that's where community comes in. To not just say, well, that was a really poignant morning, but actually we then try to live this out as the way of Jesus. Not just with willpower, but with the Holy Spirit and in community. So as you go, friends and family of St. Clair Community Church, May you remember that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. In light of that, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity, grace and peace.